back with the Flatbill Pastor Podcast. Let's go. Hey, what's up, y'all? This is episode 12. I'm Becca. And my name is Clint Nolder. Hello, Clint Nolder. Welcome back. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. So let's get into it. Let's get into it. So recently, there was this big game that's the Super Bowl. Yeah, and Usher was there. Usher was there. That's why I watched. I watched <laughs> for the Usher concert, and yeah. then I was told later that there would be a game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there was. There was also uh, roller skating. Roller skating. A lot of roller skating. <laughs> um, and Lil John. Yes. Um, okay. I know. That's when I was like, okay, I'm done. I'm deceased. And my kids <laughs> are like... Who is this person, and why are you dancing like this? Uh-huh. And I'm like, you, you're yeah. not, you don't understand. Mm-hmm. You don't understand. But yeah, it was awesome. I enjoyed it. Yes, yeah. it was. It was a delightful game of pigskin. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And also, I there was a lot of commercials. There were a lot of commercials. Some really good commercials. I thought, I thought there were some creative commercials, advertisements for companies, institutions, organizations. Yes, commercials. What was your favorite? Um, my favorite commercial. I really like the the Dunkings commercial. Yeah. <laughs> I think I laughed pretty good at that one. I, I thought that was uh, that was pretty legit. Uh, my and I just because I'm a huge fan of Matt Damon when he posts the number on the the glass window and says, "You like apples? <laughs> How about them apples? I got a number." I don't know if that's a good Boston accent. Oh, that was that was great. Okay, good, <laughs> good. Um, it's one of my favorite scenes in any in any movie. So um, for sure, when he said, "How about them donuts?" <laughs> <laughs> I was rolling. I was I was pretty pumped about it. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah, that was a good one. I had to rewatch that one for sure. Um, but yeah, there are a lot of commercials. Um, but I think <clears throat> there's one in particular that we need to dive into today oh no yeah so um buckle up (laughs) it's about to get hot and heavy in here yes um i know where you're going you do Uh, i was hoping i was gonna catch you a little bit off guard i can feel the tension rising (laughs) in the podcast listeners uh (laughs) blood pressure right now i know i'm like let me check my watch and see what (laughs) i'm at (laughs) no um let's talk about the he gets us commercial he gets us yeah. Commercial. Dum dum dum. Yeah. Right now, everyone listening is so pissed. And they're like, oh. They're just, Why are we talking about this? Because they have an opinion. And everybody's right. Mm-hmm. Not really. Everybody's wrong. Except for me. Yeah, that's why we're, I mean. Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. But that's the way I feel. I feel yeah. like right now, that's what everybody feels. Like, hey, it's my opinion. Everyone else is wrong except for me. And that's the way all of us collectively feel. And so we spew our thoughts um, anywhere that will listen and some places that won't. We just put them up there because we we visualize and visual. Sounds visualize, good. Envision and visualize. Okay. I made a new word maybe. Yeah. I'll check and see if that's a word. And visualize. I'm going to write it down. Um, that, that people are listening and, and watching and... Um, and believing what we're thinking and saying and those kind of things. And it, everyone has an opinion about it. That's for sure. Yeah. So if you haven't seen the commercial, do you want to kind of recap what the commercial means or what it yeah. is showing, conveying? Yeah. So it's um, it's an animated commercial where it, it shows um, 
various different images of people that seem to be uh, fairly common or stereotypical um, for some cultural issues or thoughts or struggles or events that are taking place in society, um, whether it be current day or even into the past. Um, and it, it kind of pits two people on opposite sides of, of issues. Um, and it shows one of the the characters in each one of the scenes washing the other character's feet. Um, I say character because it's animated. And so, um, and then at the end, it just says, hey, Jesus didn't teach hate. He washed feet. And then it's a, he gets us. You know, that's the, the nonprofit that's, mm. um, that's doing it. And so that, that's what the commercial is. It's, it's a bunch of depictions of individuals washing people that in our current context and community and culture would typically be at, at odds with each other. Mm-hmm. And when one of them is washing the other person's feet, um, in a variety of different, you know, situations and circumstances. Which is crazy. Cause if you think about it, there's so many people that saw that commercial. Yeah. I don't remember what the numbers were, but it was a, it was millions of people. It, I, do you remember? Yeah, it was. I think it was 123.7 million people watched the Super Bowl or viewer, viewers, which yeah. is like the the top most watched thing like ever. I'm curious, just to pause here. Yeah. If there's only 120 something million people that watched it, I think there's 300 something million people in the United States. Maybe I don't know. I'm mm-hmm. just pulling that. Out of, I don't know where I'm pulling that from. What were the other two thirds of people doing? <laughs> Puppy like, ball. <laughs> that only lasts so long, though, right? I don't yeah. like. What were they? What were they doing? That they're like, you know what? Uh, let's let's not watch Usher. That's uh, so crazy to not, me. I don't. I don't know. You know what I'm saying because anyway. there's probably more Swifties than that too. <laughs> yeah. 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 You think so? Yeah. You, you think but so. yeah, at one point, two hundred million people watched that either at one point oh, wow. or okay. the other, the other, with yeah. the other, which is That's like crazy, insane. That's a lot of eyeballs. So for a portion of that just to see who watched that specific commercial. Yeah. And every one of them had some sort of opinion, whether even that be like indifferent. Sure. Um, so yeah, do you did you know who he gets us that campaign was before you watched the yes. um Yeah, I was commercial? very familiar with He Gets Us. Um I've been to a couple of conferences where they've had booths set up and um I'd seen the commercials last year. And I've talked to some folks that work with He Gets Us, at mm-hmm. least um, that were at the, the conferences and, and had a couple of conversations um, about what they're attempting to do and um, and their hopes for people. Um, it, it, so in, from that light, mm-hmm. I, I, was, I was familiar with the, the brand. So like when you saw it, you're like, you already knew what I guess they were trying to convey. Did you agree with like how they executed that? Yeah, I thought the commu- I thought the commercial was brilliant. Um, I thought it was an incredible opportunity, um, and I thought it was executed really, really well. Mm. Which I know is probably not going to sit well with some folks, but maybe right, I can hopefully that's... explain it through a little bit of conversation. Here. Yeah, because I think like the and just from I mean the day after there was like so many people were 
sharing things, whether they didn't speak their own opinion on it or yep. whatever, but there were so many people sharing, you know, things. And then you go to like TikTok or Instagram and you see the reels about all these um, Christians. I mean, they were outraged. Yeah, they were. And I'm like, what is going on? Yeah, there was people super pissy about everything, you know, on both sides. Yeah. Um, on both sides, whether it was a terrible commercial or a great commercial. Mm-hmm. Um, super, super pissy everywhere. They're just pss, everywhere. <laughs> right. And I think like the main thing that, well, at least that I saw, and you can obviously let me know if you had something <clears throat> different, but what I saw was that like they were so upset about was whose feet they were watch- like washing. Yes. And I think the biggest thing was specific groups of people mm-hmm. that they were washing. And they were like, Christian's aren't supposed to wash their feet. Right. So let's kind of back up a little bit. Let's go back and think through what the commercial was trying to compare it to um, biblically. biblically. Yeah. Um, So where did that come from? Like, what are they trying to convey? Like that story? Yeah. In fact, you know, I think it would be just even better if I just read it. I didn't think about this ahead of time, but you just saying that, let me, let me, in John uh, 12, 13, somewhere around there. 13? 13, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'll just read it to you. John yeah. 13, uh, it was just before Passover festival. Jesus knew the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power And he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that he had wrapped around them. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, You do not realize what I'm doing, but later you'll understand No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that's why he said not every one of you were clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes, returned to his place, and said, uh, Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. Um, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that's what I am. Uh, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set, an exam- set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. So I think <clears throat> that people are only taking away the part where Jesus only washed his disciples' feet. Yeah, that's one of the first things that people say is, "Hey, let's look at who, let's look at whose feet Jesus washed. He washes disciples' feet." And I agree that is that is true in this particular story. Jesus washes disciples' feet. However, we, we also have to know that included in that group of disciples was a guy named Judas that Jesus was fully aware was going to betray him. And in fact, the passage even tells us like 
that process had already started in, in the life of Judas. And so what we see is that Jesus um, gets on his knees, puts a towel around his waist, and he washes the feet of those closest friends of his, including the guy that's about to sell him for 30 pieces of silver, which is going to ultimately cost Jesus his life. And so he washes his own betrayer's feet just a couple of hours before he actually betrays him. And, you know, when we think through disciples and followers of Jesus, um, certainly he was a disciple. But the truth is, is that Judas had made a decision. He had, Judas had made a decision. He no longer wanted to follow Jesus. He wanted to betray Jesus. He wanted to trade Jesus in. He wasn't interested in making Jesus Lord of his life. He did not think that Jesus was the Son of God. He did not think that Jesus was the Messiah. He did not think that he was the answer for the Jewish people. He he thought, you know what? At the end of the day, 30 pieces of silver will be better for me than me continuing to give my life to Jesus. Jesus knew all of those things and still got on the floor and washed his betrayer's feet. In addition to that, there's a guy that's there. His name's Peter. And Peter makes this really great show where he says, hey, look, if you're going to wash my feet, if you insist, don't just wash my feet. Don't stop there. Wash the, wash the whole thing. Because Peter had this idea of a, that Jesus was who he says he was, mm-hmm. that, that Peter was starting to buy into the legitimacy and significance of Jesus. And so Peter's like, just watch the whole thing. Now, what's interesting about Peter is that within about 12 hours of this conversation that he's having with Jesus... Peter is also going to get scared to death of being associated with Jesus. And so Peter is going to be asked three different times, aren't you the, aren't you a friend of Jesus? Aren't you with Jesus? Aren't you one of his followers? And all three times, Peter looks at the people and says, you have lost your mind. I am not that guy. I have no connection to Jesus at all. And Jesus actually tells Peter in advance, you are going to deny me. And Peter's like, no chance. And he's like, yeah, you are three times before the rooster crows. You're going to tell people you want nothing to do with me. And Jesus is on the floor washing a guy's feet who's going to want no connection with him just in 12 hours because he's scared of his own life as Jesus goes through a trial that ultimately is going to decide his. So there's a lot of dynamics when we think of, hey, the disciples of Jesus and those are the only people he washed their feet. Those, those disciples were not incredible human beings in this moment. I mean, Jesus is going to get crucified, and they're going to scatter, and they're going to be scared to death. They'll be running for their lives. It's not until the Holy Spirit enters the picture and begins to indwell in them that they actually become the people we know today and admire as the, the apostles or the disciples of Jesus. Because up until then, they could not do anything of note or substance Um, on their own moving forward. They were scared out of their minds. The Spirit comes, and that's what changes them. And so, yeah, I mean, they were disciples, for sure. If we want to look at that narrow a view of that moment, um, technically they were all disciples, but there's so much more going on there than a blanket statement, Jesus only washes disciples' feet. I think the other thing that's really important when we think through the moment of Jesus washing your feet is that who actually is supposed to wash feet? Mm-hmm. So if we go to the first century, the job of the, the foot washing is typically one of the lowest servants uh, in the house or in the, the, the crew of folks that are, um, they rented a room, and I don't, we don't know a lot of details about this room that they rented. 
But there'd be a servant who would be by the door. And that servant, as people would come in, would wash the people that had arrived's feet. And it wasn't a great task. It wasn't the task um, that when people were thinking, hey, if I'm going to work in someone's house, I want this task. You know, there's a, this was the lower task kind of thing, right? I don't want to wash feet. I don't want to clean out like the latrines, like those kind of things. Like this is the level it's on. Mm-hmm. And so what's interesting is they get to this dinner that night and there's no one there to wash feet. But we do know that all of the utensils or, or you know pieces or parts of foot washing are present. They just all walk past it like, oh, I guess foot washers, you know, taking a smoke break or something. Right. I don't know. They feet. walk in. And for sure, um, at some point in the dinner, Jesus gets up and begins to wash feet. So we need to ask ourselves the question, why is Jesus doing this? What is he trying to show in washing feet? He's not saying, hey, this is what I, this is what I want you to do. I want um, every single time that you get together and have a church gathering for everybody to take their shoes off and wash your feet. This isn't necessarily a foot washing. Hey, let me set this in motion that uh, once a week you are washing each other's feet. He's trying to establish and teach them something that they won't fully grasp until the spirit's part of their lives. But he's demonstrating that he's about to give his life for all of humanity to have a chance to connect with God. And in that moment, he's still serving them. He's in his final hours. He's still serving them. He's taking the lowest form of a man of I'm on my knees washing the dirt off of your dirty first century dirt road feet. And I'm your Lord and master. I'm about to be your savior. I am the son of God, but I'm going to humble myself and serve you in this way. He's setting an example for them. I mean, it ties so much into all of the rest of Jesus' teachings where he says, hey, love your neighbor as yourself. And the self-righteous people are like, well, yeah, who's my neighbor? Mm -hmm. And so when Jesus tells the story, he's like, oh, let me me explain to you who your neighbor is. And so he tells the story of the Good Samaritan. There's Mm -hmm. this guy that Jewish people would typically absolutely hate, right? And and the Samaritan ends up being the guy that, you know, is is the hero of the story. The Samaritan walks by and he does the right thing. And you'll read the story. And so he, when he begins to lay this out, that, hey, the way we treat people, the way we engage with people in our world, it's going to be through some humility. It's going to be through service. How do we love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us? How do we um, love our neighbor as ourselves, even when our neighbor is a, a part of a group of people um, that we have traditionally had conflict with, which is the, the idea between Jews and Samaritans. That's why the parable of the Good Samaritan is, is so powerful. Mm-hmm. He's like, look, uh, the way that we approach humanity is going to be different than what comes natural to you. And it, it it falls in line with the rest of Jesus' teachings. And so what, what the commercial is trying to get across is, you know what? Uh, I think a lot of us, what we want to do is we want to take a few moments where Jesus does share with groups of people and he preaches to them. And we want to take that moment and we are very comfortable preaching to all groups of people. And we're really good at that. And we can look at any individual group and say, hey, you've got some issues and you've got some problems and let me tell you what Jesus has to say about that. And I think the thing that's overlooked so much is that washing feet 
honestly should precede the preaching. Mm. That the humility and the desire and love and care for someone should should precede this forced desire for their particular behavior mm. to change. And that's hard for people to deal with. Yeah. Um, you know, and at Foundation, we say you can belong even if you don't believe and if you don't behave. And so we would say belong and then believe and then eventually your life will begin to reflect um, who Jesus is and what Jesus wants from you. But even if you don't believe that Jesus exists, even if you believe that Jesus is a fake, that he's a fairy tale, even if you believe that Jesus never existed and walked the planet, you can still belong at Foundation. Because as a pastor, I know that it takes time for people to do a, a journey and a discovery um, of the significance of Jesus. And it doesn't always happen for people as quickly as I would like it. And that's, that's hard for me to wrestle with, mm-hmm. right? And, and we mentioned last podcast, podcast is that there's, there's this urgency that's created in me because, and we, we've got these, these cliche phrases, right? We're not promised tomorrow. Um, what if we die tonight? Mm-hmm. And so with that, we, it creates some, it creates some tension. It's like, man, I just feel like there's an urgency, which there is, but then there's also the reality of humanity that it's a process. And those two things have to sit in tension with one another. And so I want to serve people in our community that think Jesus is a fraud, that think that the bride of Christ, the church is a waste, excuse me, that believe that, um, that Jesus, um, has nothing of value to give them. I want to serve those individuals. I want to, I want to make sure that I'm in a, a humble state of mind to approach them, even though they believe that the thing that's most important to me is wrong. Mm -hmm. I still want to put myself in a place to love them because they're my neighbor. Because I believe that it is through that opportunity that it will give them the very best shot to discover Jesus. Now, were there moments when Jesus just simply told the whole story? When people were asked, he met with lots of Pharisees, um, he met with Pharisees on an individual level, met with Nicodemus. He talked to large groups of people, large religious leaders. They would ask questions. He would answer those questions. I'm not saying that we don't, that we're, we're, we're hiding from the truth or trying to disguise the truth. I'm saying that we actually do have a genuine love and care for all of humanity, that it is on that love and care for all of humanity that we then have the opportunity to share the full truth of humanity, which is that every single one of us are condemned. Mm-hmm. Every one of us. There are no exceptions. Not a, Mother Teresa included, Pope included, all of us absolutely condemned, but Jesus. Mm. Right? And then, but Jesus shows up, the cross happens, the resurrection happens, and that gives every condemned person an opportunity to no longer be condemned. So none of us deserved. For Jesus to wash our feet. And the truth is, it doesn't matter if, if your life is full of sin, the, the sinnest of sins, I don't know what that word would be, 
If you can picture a blank box and for every sin, you would put an ink dot in it. And let's just say that there are so many ink dots in your box that it almost looks like a black, full ink, black, you know, filled in box. And that's one person's life. And then picture another black, or excuse me, another empty box with one tiny ink dot in it. So you've got one single sin in one box and a huge blotches of sin in the other ones. Both boxes are condemned. Both boxes do not have the ability to have a relationship with God. Both boxes get their feet washed by Jesus because he's entering into the opportunity to say, hey, I'm here to serve. In fact, he even said that. I, if above anybody else, Jesus could have made a case. I, you ought to be serving me. But he said, I, I didn't come here to be served, but to serve, to give my ransom or my life as a ransom. Like for many, that's a that's a big deal. That, that the mentality of Jesus. When we even when we look at the Christmas story, the first people that are told are not the are not the best moral people in the country. It's not the people who are leading the religious services that have devoted themselves to the calling of God in their lives to the temple. It's it's told to a bunch of shepherds outside of a podunk city called Bethlehem. Like from the very beginning, Jesus was saying, "I." The angel says, "This will be good news for all people." Whether you've got one teeny tiny dot of sin in your life or it's completely full, we all stand condemned and Jesus came to enter into an opportunity and relationship to say, hey, I'm going to serve all of humanity. I'd wash every single person's feet because I want them to know that I love them, that I care for their soul and I care for their soul. And because I care for their soul, I also care about their sin. Mm. But people get so pissy about this commercial because they're like, oh, it stopped short. It's a commercial. Right. It's not the Bible. Yeah. There was no there was no desire to say, you know what we ought to do? Let's take the entire New Testament and put it in 30 seconds. Right? That's not it. That's not what the commercial was doing. The commercial was saying, Christians, we've done a terrible job at telling people we love them even though they stand condemned because we identify with them that we too have been condemned. Yeah. And so we're going to enter into their space and say, hey, I want to get on the floor and I'm going to get dirty with you in your situation because I care about your soul. And because I care about your soul, I'm going to have a conversation about your sin and my sin. But it's on the understanding that your soul matters. You as a person matters. And people that want a commercial to remind people of their brokenness, those people actually don't know a lot of lost people because I've yet to meet a lost person that doesn't know they're broken. Mm. Every lost person I talk to that that eventually comes to know Jesus, they always tell me they're like, I knew. Yeah. I just didn't want I didn't want it. I didn't I didn't want it. I knew something was missing. I didn't know what it was. And they think that they think that Christianity is they think Christianity is is it's it's watering it down to do it this way. It's like, no. No, this the way that God has designed humanity, people know something's missing. I mean, the heavens declare the glory of God. People know there's something more. Now, they, they might talk about, no, this, that, and the other. But people know. I'm sure there's some exception out there. 
but the lost people I continue to run into, not only do they know a lot of them, they wish Jesus was real. Yeah. Like, I, I, I wish he was. I just don't think with everything I've seen the church do to people, this guy can't be legit. But they're like, wouldn't it be awesome if someone did come to die for my inability to save myself? Like, I, I don't find people that are like, that's a terrible idea. Yeah. Like, okay, that God loved us so much, he was willing to give a son on our behalf because he wants to spend eternity with us. I don't meet anybody who thinks that's a dumb idea. What happens is, is their experience with followers of Jesus has convinced them that guy can't exist. There's no chance because we've become untrustworthy or we've become people who, who show this, this facade and this, this vision of Jesus. And they're like, it just, it just doesn't match up with who you are in your life. Right. It doesn't match up with the way you treat other people. It doesn't match up with fill in the blank, the abuse or the however that is with a physical or sexual abuse or anything that's come from the church or stealing the money or, or the goodness, the, the private planes and helicopters and millions and millions of dollar mansions. It's like, I just don't, how, how do we, how does all this fix? Obviously Jesus can't be real if he's letting all these things happen. That, those are difficult questions to walk through. And that's what people don't want to be real. People would love if Jesus was a legitimate person that cared for their soul and found a way for them to connect with God, God himself. But they just, they they can't bring themselves to believe in that Jesus or that God because of the people they've met. Yeah, that's what I think. I think that when they see that commercial, they're like, maybe the Jesus guy behind all this is real. Maybe what the Bible's, the, the story of the feet washing is real. But the people getting down dirty and washing my feet you know, as I'm sitting in front of an abortion clinic or, you know, I'm, you name it, that person uh, depicted in the commercial, Christians wouldn't do that. Right. Uh, people who follow <laughs> Jesus that I've met, they've let me down and there's no way that that person would wash my feet. And I think that's the saddest part of all this is that it's it's not Jesus that is deterring people away from Christianity. It's a lot of it's the people saying that they're Christians right? and they're not doing the feet washing. Right. And I think a lot of them are Christians are apprehensive or they don't even have it the right mindset maybe to wash other people's feet because they're like, you know, I can't wash that person's feet. Jesus wouldn't, you know, want that. Per- like, let's just put the, uh, the lady set in front of the abortion clinic. Cause that one kind of hurt my heart seeing people post on Facebook or Instagram, whatever, you name it. Oh, well, I, I can't condone that that part of it. I love everything but that part of right. it. And I'm like, no, that's where they needed you the most. That's where that person is is needing that that Christ follower, that Jesus follower, and why wouldn't you wash their feet? Right. Um. So, yeah, that was my biggest takeaway is like, Maybe they're not deterred from Jesus. They are let down by people. Mm-hmm. No, 100%. Yeah, and the, the idea that that serving someone who does something that would be, you know, against what Jesus would hope for. Let's just talk about the abortion side of things. And to say that you would serve that woman either before she went in 
or as she was leaving. It doesn't condone anything. What it does is it says, hey, um, I love you. And probably you've already made up your mind or it's too late. But there's never a moment that Jesus is going to give up on you. And since he hasn't given up on you, neither will I. As it should be. And I feel like once we kind of shift our mindset into like, hey, you need to be the ones washing these people's feet. Everyone. It it doesn't matter who it is. And I think, you know, just to keep, you know, reiterating shift your mindset like this needs to be not just a disciples being you know they 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 can only have their feet washed no it's it's the people who are turning their back to jesus or already made up their mind they're not followers of of jesus is what i'm saying so i guess that's like the biggest takeaway I, i i got but like you said like we're not we're not condoning it and i think that's what people are believing that by washing so-and-so's feet or by, you know, letting them in my home and having dinner with them or by whatever, I'm condoning their actions. And I can't be affiliated with that. I'm a Christian. Right. And and that's, you know, it, that's the whole idea of you've got to behave to belong. And I just, Maybe one day we'll get to heaven and Jesus will say, I did it wrong. I just, I look at his own life and what we know for sure about those disciples is that there was a a huge contention of them that still thought Jesus was going to actually be like king Mm -hmm. of the Jews. He was going to expel the Romans. That he was going to take over the Roman Empire. You know, or at least kick them so far out of the promised land that they'd never consider coming back. And that's all up until even through Jesus died on the cross. They just had no clue. Yeah. And yet Jesus was just serving them and serving them and serving them and serving them. And again, it's not a, it's not about literally washing someone's feet. It's about serving someone else. Yeah. It's about putting yourself in a situation to be humbled and approaching who they are in their in their current state and saying, "Look, because because God created you, that alone gives you an enormous amount of worth, regardless if I agree with your decisions or not." And so it's in that common ground of a creator that we enter into a relationship to help them understand that that is where their true value and worth comes from, that it's nothing that they can achieve or good choices they can make, but it is from God. And that with that, God has then seen because he understands our value because he created us the disconnect that does exist because of sin. And it takes some people longer than others 
to wrestle with the reality of sin. I know we want them. Uh, we want them to, to wrestle it to the ground faster, but some people don't. And I don't know why that is. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know why that is. But I don't, I don't think it's a waste of time to invest a decade or two decades into a relationship. And if that person finally d- discovers Jesus, I think it's worth it. Yeah. And even if, even if they made a lot of really terrible decisions along the way, I still think it's worth it mm-hmm. because their soul matters. For sure. And I think we just have lost that as as a whole. And so we it's easier for us to say things like, oh, I don't want to condone this. I don't want to enable this. And I just would be really... I, I think some of that comes back to the cultural and community side of things. It's like, I don't want, I don't want people to talk about me being someone who condones that. I don't want people to think that I'm okay with this. And so at the, at the end of the day, when we talk about condoning, I think pride plays a huge role where it's like, I don't want to befriend someone at the abortion clinic because I don't want people to think that I'm okay with abortion. And it's like, that's such a strange way to view other people. Like you don't you don't want to engage with them because you don't want people to think about weird things about you. Mm. It's like, well, man, if if that's all relationships are, either it, an asset or a a debit a debit on who we are as a person, right. well, no wonder we got an issue. Like I mean, I, I, I get what we don't want, right? We don't want to be permission givers. Yeah. And so we just, we set up fences around us. Like, well, I'm not going to be the permission giver. But the reality of humanity is we've got to get messy with people. Yeah. And it's not going to always be a clean cut, you know, perfect understanding. Jesus was at parties where people got drunk. That didn't mean... That he was like, yes, I think everyone should be let. Right. Right? But he was Pass engaging them with them. Mm-hmm. Jesus Jesus hung out with the most undesirable people pre their conversion. We gotta have more patience with people. Yeah. We've gotta have <clears throat> We've got to have a more burden for people. We've got to live. When I say we, I'm talking about Christians. Okay. Followers of Jesus. We we have to. We've got to have a healthier fear of God. That we will be held accountable. For the people we wrote off that he didn't. Hmm. Because we were afraid of how it was going to make us look. Boom. I think too like there was a big thing about like what can Jesus doesn't tolerate sin and so maybe can we talk about what does that look like as a congregation then um, I know we talked about you know that just to expound on that as a congregation as a as Christ followers, how 
do we tolerate? How do we um, <clears throat> show non-believers what we tolerate and condone or associate with? Or what's that line in that boundary? So let me start from us planting foundation. We had a legitimate desire to have people on our launch team that were not followers of Jesus. So people that had not decided Jesus was the son of God, that they were not sure if he died on the cross for our sins. They certainly didn't believe in a resurrection. Um, they didn't believe that the Christian life was necessarily for them. We wanted people who thought like that to be on our launch team to help launch foundation. And I had some people ask why that makes no sense. Number one, um, their first thing was why would a Christian help a church launch? Um, because, because they were friends mm -hmm. and friends help other friends do things that are important to them. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's one. But the second thing is, is we wanted to be a people that the disconnected felt were a safe place. And for sure, um, that creates some tension and it creates some awkward moments. But it also, being in those tension-filled filled places and those awkward moments also lended followers of Jesus opportunities to be present in the moment of need or in the moment of questioning where their heart was receptive to say, hey, so I'm guessing you would have probably done this a little different. And then you have the opportunity because there's a relationship there to say, yeah, yeah, I probably would have done a little different. And then you begin to have a discourse back and forth about why and how and what's the motive behind it, all those things. And so relationship becomes a key piece to the discovery journey of someone who's disconnected from faith finding Jesus, which this is why this is so significant in these moments, because post-resurrection of Jesus, post-day of Pentecost, when the Spirit begins to indwell believers, no longer is it is a non-believer or someone disconnected from following Jesus having a relationship just with another human being. They're having a relationship with a human being that is filled with the very Spirit of God. And so that relationship has so much more potential than just human and human. It's human and spirit-filled human. And so even though they don't have a relationship with Jesus, they do have a relationship with someone who has decided his way is better than my way. And by the way, the Spirit of God lives inside of me. And so there's a supernatural thing that's happening in that relationship, even though the non-believer or the disconnected doesn't see it that way. But the thing is, a follower of Jesus, we, we, our lens and our filter, all of it is heaven. All of it is kingdom. All of it is Jesus. And so the way we interact, the way we have the conversation, we're all filtering it through the lens of the spirit leading me in this direction. And th that's a powerful moment and thing to have. And so if I've got to humble myself and serve in a way that completely catches someone off guard, like doing the feet washing 
in a circumstance where of all the people in the room, Jesus should not have been the one in the dirt. If I can follow his example and put myself in that situation in people's lives that is spirit led to, to place myself among the dirt, you know, on the floor, serving someone in a way that they were, they didn't expect it. And the reason behind it is, I mean, in fact, Jesus says, you don't even understand what I'm doing for you right now, mm-hmm. but you're going to. The Spirit gives us such incredible insight post-resurrection, post-day of Pentecost to understand that, man, it is through me beginning this relationship that many people will find and see Jesus. So many of us, though, don't want to do that hard work. We would rather say, let me post to you some sayings of Jesus, and that's how we want you to get to know him. And I think that probably works for some people. But what a waste of the spirit inside of you. If the only time you let him work with the disconnected is through your sayings and your postings. And you never engage in relationship. Especially if it's because you're afraid someone else will think that you think what they do is okay. Yeah. To me, that's like the <clears throat> the biggest like takeaway from this is get down in the dirt, wash their feet. This is not, you know, don't. You don't really wash their feet, but this is like an, an, a, this is an act, an act of love, serve, service, serve them. Um, we are leading by what we do and what we do for them and not because this is like we're checking boxes, because we actually do. And that's what we were told to do. Um, and so, yeah, wash your neighbor's feet. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Humble yourself and serve people, especially those who don't see the world through the Jesus lens, you see it through, especially those people. And you never know what God will do or how Jesus will use it. And certainly there will be people that say, well, Jesus wasn't always love, 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 love all the time. You're right. No, he did answer hard questions. He did talk about hard truths. But the proof is in everyone the religious people would classify as sinners somehow gravitated towards him through parties, ate dinner with him. There's something to that. And they might say, well, it's because he just told them the truth. Yeah, he told them the truth. He also served them. I think sometimes the way he served them prepared their hearts to hear the truth. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think that's why, too, they loved Jesus so much and was so eager to follow. And um, because he didn't, he, he loved them. He showed them service. And it wasn't like this whole big, you know, I don't know. You need to do this, you need to do that. I mean, it, it was an, an act of love. And that's what was so great about the whole thing yeah it's wild that jesus raises the religious standards more than anyone in the history of religion yeah yet 
draws so many people who didn't qualify for the first lower standard religion to himself. Mm. That's wild. Yeah. That is, that is wild. And there was something to the, hu- the, the humility and the willing to serve that went hand in hand with that. I would say in final thoughts, if you're a Christian that hates the He Gets Us campaign, try to find someone that works for He Gets Us and ask them what they're really about. Maybe don't make a judgment on a 30-second commercial. Yeah. Because as I've sat with people that work with He Gets Us, they're seeing a lot of people who are disconnected from faith that saw themselves in those commercials reach out and ask about this Jesus. And it's not just a, Jesus doesn't care what you do. Jesus wants to love you. It's a, there's good news. Every one of us are condemned. Every single one of us. And if it wasn't for Jesus, none of us would have a chance. So if you want to follow Jesus, he's going to ask for everything. But just know that he showed up to humble himself and give everything first to make it possible. Commercial did a great job at meeting people where they were. For sure did a good job at stirring up some conversation. Yes. And at the end of the day, I think there are more people asking questions about Jesus today than they were a couple weeks ago. For sure. I'll take that. Awesome. All right. Well, until next time, that was a Flatbill Pastor Podcast. We'll see you then. Happy commercial watching. Yes. He gets us. Go watch it. Toodles. Bye.